Welcome back to another episode of the Strong Family Project Podcast. I'm Joe, joined by Mel. Welcome back to the Strong Family Project Podcast, where we guide you on the path to raising confident, independent, and resilient children in a strong family environment. I know this episode's going out a couple weeks after Thanksgiving, but Mel, I think we learned some lessons yesterday. So before we get into today's topic, which is about winners and losers, winning and losing mindset, and how to help teach kids how to handle those different emotions that go with playing a sport and winning and losing, let's talk about Thanksgiving. Okay. What is something that you learned as we're recording this was yesterday, but what is something that you learned on Thanksgiving that you'd like to share with the audience that you think you, that you think will help them down the road? I learned this after the fact today because I saw somebody post that they included their kids in the preparation of the Thanksgiving meal. And I really love that. And I want to do that next year. So I usually take on the responsibility of doing all the cooking, but I really enjoy it. It's not a chore for me. I really enjoy it. But I want to include next year the kids to like cook part of it. I could have taken that opportunity to teach them how to roast a whole... We we did chicken, not turkey. I don't know if that's taboo, but... Not team turkey. Chicken's way better. (laughs) Everyone knows if turkey was good, they would have roasted turkeys all the time, (laughs) not just once a year. So that's what I learned personally. I want to include them more in that process. What do you think will be some of the roadblocks of including them in the process and how would you overcome them? I think the biggest roadblock is going to be me. (laughs) You knew you were going to say Correct. (laughs) It's me not being a control freak if something doesn't turn out quite right. So it's going to be, it's going to be me and I'm going to have to make sure that I'm willing to make compromises because I think they should also have a say in what is going to be made. And I can sense people's hesitation about it because many people are probably like Mel, that it's just easier to do yourself and you get exactly how you want it if you do it yourself. However, it's probably more valuable to sacrifice some of that so that your kids can be elevated. I had a great experience once when I went to a friend's house, Vince and Vanessa in New Jersey, one of his daughters, I'm forgetting which one, we were talking about it even recently, made dinner for us and she put on like a huge spread and like at the beginning I don't think she was into it then all of a sudden she came out with five different courses got into it and did an amazing job and so while there is friction up front to get that process started I think it can be very valuable it's also friction to be able to let go of certain traditions so if like you're used to having all these certain foods I think it's important if one of the kids says, hey, what if we make this? Am I going to say no just because it's not what we usually eat? And also pushing the kids to do something. If I gave it to Logan, he'd be like, I'll buy a can of cranberry and I'll just open it. No, it's going to have to be something that you go through some kind of a process to make. I can see us ending up with a chicken that you make, some popcorn, some (laughs) yogurt mixed with oatmeal, and uh, like some carrot sticks. Now you're making me regret my decision. (laughs) You got to live with those things though, so they can elevate them. It's in business. There's this friction when you pass off a job to someone else and they don't immediately do it as good as you. And then you get all number one, fired up. Number two, you get a little bit self-righteous. Like I do it so good, but you have to give a margin of area error because if you've been doing it for a decade or two decades or three decades, you better be doing it good than they will on their first attempt. So you have to give people leeway. You got to give your kids leeway. 
got to eat some crap food sometimes that might come out burnt and just smile and say, hey, thank you for making this. But that's part of being a parent. Who really cares about the, the food in the long run? You won't even remember it, but you will remember that a child made it for you. The other thing that I think comes out of this, almost you don't, you don't expect it to, you learn a bit more about each kid. Because, so this is a silly example, but I make a shake for each kid in the morning. And my expectation is that they rinse the cup when they're done, rinse the straw, because obviously if it dries out, maybe that's not obvious, but if it dries out, it becomes much harder to clean it later. And one of them does it consistently, does a good job. Another one, I have to always remind. So I don't get, I shouldn't say I don't get upset. Sometimes I do get upset about it, but it tells me something about the child. Hey, this kid needs a little bit more support in this area he needs to understand a little bit more about either helping the process because later on it's going to be a pain for me to clean but my whole point here is sometimes when you do something like this you let your kids cook something or bake something or whatever you might learn a little bit more about their personalities about areas of support they might need and i think that's a cool thing to learn about what i would suggest moving off from the the cooking side is we talked about this a lot with traditions and Mel even said the word tradition a little funny a couple minutes ago <laughs> because she knew that's not really how we roll. We do values, not traditions. And those are two different things because values you can apply to situations. Traditions are like one robotic thing that you have to do. Sometimes it's enjoyable. Sometimes it's not robotic. Maybe that's not fair to say, but it just feels like that for some people. And then everyone gets dragged in. All right, let's do one thing that'll please one person and you go through the motions. But you're free to do whatever the heck you want. So we did a morning rock. I know Mel loves her Thanksgiving meal, loves the sweet potatoes with the marshmallows, loves the roasted chicken. She's getting like the little sauce out of it, like squirting it on the top every once in a while. It's called basting. <laughs> yeah, Thank doing you. all those kind of things, <laughs> getting really into it. And we like to do something that makes the day memorable. With a physical accomplishment, but I wasn't going to, Mel, you got to go. But no, she wanted to do her thing. I took the kids across the four of us. We put about 200 pounds on our back. I think I had 100, Everett had 10 or 15. Henry had some weight and Logan had some weight in their backpack. We did one mile, uh, one mile hike down at Garden of the Gods. Out, put the stuff off. They climbed some of the rocks, put it back on, walked back to the truck. They all felt so accomplished because forever at five, it was his first like weighted hike. He felt so cool about it. It was fast. We were out of the house to give Mel some breathing room. and made the day memorable by doing in a physical accomplishment. And so we did the ruck, got back, and then we had dinner. And to make a note about tradition, so I think traditions can be very comforting for people. They know what to expect. It's like this nostalgic thing. It's part of why I do the sweet potato casserole because that's what I had every year. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a very nice thing, but you can also create new traditions based on your values. You don't have to repeat traditions just to go through the motions. They, they should have some kind of um, a benefit to your current family situation. Yes, it's more fair to say because doing something challenging on major days is like one of our quote unquote traditions now. And then Henry even said, I remember last year because I did a push, uh, a pull-up challenge. How many pull-ups? thousand a thousand pull-ups and then when you mentioned doing a challenge Everett was like into it immediately because he knows nothing else like he knows that's what we do Everett, the five-year-old we brought him over i said hey today's a big day let's make it memorable with a challenge what do you think Everett's immediately hey maybe an incline maybe a, a hike at garden of the gods and then we put it together we didn't want to do a full incline it might take four hours we'd be late to dinner and that would influence what mel wants to do so let's do this other thing instead but it got his feedback and we decided on it together as a family and he felt powerful for being able to contribute to that conversation. 
But really, his contribution is based on the fact that we consistently bring up the idea of doing challenges. He and not just the idea, but actually doing them. He got his dinosaur backpack out and stuff so weights cute. in it and put it on, powering down the road. <clears throat> Very cool. Okay, there's a couple of thoughts for you in the holiday. Include the kids in making things. Maybe you don't want to roll the dice and put it on a holiday. Do it on a weekend. Like, you don't have to... Maybe so touch and go for Mel. I don't know if she'll do Thanksgiving next year. I think if I think if I thought of it ahead of time and prepped it a bit more, I think it'd be fine. If it was last minute, it would not work. But all right, let's talk about winning and losing. I'll put down my kombucha. I gotta say that for people watching on YouTube, don't, don't think they're drinking wine. <laughs> Middle of the day, recording a podcast. It's some homemade green tea kombucha. It does look yours looks like wine? It has <laughs> cherry juice. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yours is the same color. I know. <laughs> Henry had a challenging basketball season, and it's taken me a few weeks to even talk about it. As a former athlete and basketball coach, it was difficult to watch and parent through. Watch is in it. Don't really say anything. Just stand off in the corner myself. I have a certain perspective about the effort that should be put in the organization. And I also have a certain perspective like, hey, if they're unskilled, that that comes. There's if they miss shots, that's fine. But if they don't know how many people should be on the court, that's not fine to me. And in the sixth grade level, you should know some basic skills and have some understanding of that sort of stuff. And so Mel relayed one of the coach's meth- messages to me, which got me all heated. <laughs> but I, I didn't really say anything to the kids, yes. I don't know. I was trying to think of a nice way to say it. The team stunk. And they were regularly blown out by 30, 40, 50 points by their peers, kids of the same age group. They weren't playing bigger schools or anything like that. They were just blown away because the, the other kids were organized. They knew how to do a layup line. They knew how to do other things like a normal team would know how to do. And someone asked the coach if they won, and she said, we won emotionally. <laughs> I was like, what the hell does that mean? You won emotionally? You got blown out by 40, and the kids are like running around in circles and don't have any concept of the game, which is the part that I care about more than the actual outcome of the score at a sixth grade level. But it becomes challenging because Henry sees his team getting blown out and he starts to feel the frustration that it's so disorganized and he hates losing and it would make him grumpy for a couple of days after. Is that fair to say, Mel? It is. And that's the part I struggle with because he'll come home and be really grumpy about it. And I want him to just what's the good that come out of it or what's something that you can take from it? But what really struck me, because now to give you a little background, I did not play sports. I did not know that there was five players on a team until I started watching this season. So I don't have that perspective that you have. And of course, I mostly watch just my kid and see his progress, which he did make. But I would expect him to blow or kind of blow past the loss and just, hey, what good came from it? But then you, I said that to you one day. And I think I was telling you how grumpy he was being during the evening debrief one night. And he's like, you know what? He should be angry about losing. And that, that really struck me because I didn't think about it that way. It is so tough to juggle this. And that's why I want to talk about it with you today. Because I don't even have the perfect answer. I can only share what we've been doing and working on. And it will be a work in progress. Because how do you teach your children that losing isn't the ideal outcome, getting them to respect the things that they need to learn and still have fun. You say, hey, losing's not fun. They lose, but you tell them, hey, play the game because it's fun. But then they lose and they say, that's not fun. And it is tough, Mel. I think it also 
part of this for Henry, at least, is that he wants to do his best all the time. Like, he gets frustrated when he doesn't have a skill. So he'll come home now, and he plays basketball over in the other room. We have a really tall ceiling, and we have a hoop on the door for him. I'd say he plays three hours a day, and I'm not joking. So the fact that he is, I think good is coming from all of this, because it's not like he's coming home and saying, forget it, I'm not going to bother trying anymore. He is trying to get his skill set stronger. So for other kids who might not have that same mentality or go home and practice all the time, I just wonder if that's just like a personality thing. Is that because their families aren't pushing them? They're just saying, it's okay, no big deal. I, I don't know what it is. but So I, I guess that, that is what I want to get to, Mel, and that is the kind of the normal way to parent because you want to move your kid away from pain as soon as possible and they come off the floor getting crushed. Crushed. <laughs> I'm not even over 40 to 4. Like they're like not even putting up any shots in a full game, which I would expect at the second or third grade level, which is age appropriate, but at sixth grade, you should be like, have some concept of what's going on. Either way, I'm no longer going to defend my grumpiness. I'm grumpy <laughs> about it. So they come off the floor, they're dejected, they're frustrated, and a normal reaction for parents to go up and say, oh no, that's okay. What, how would, what do you do, Mal? What are some of the normal things yeah, things like that's okay or things like, oh, you'll get them next time or mm. don't feel bad, just shake it off. Oh, it's just, you're just in sixth grade. Like, it's no big deal. I think it's a lot of times exactly what you're saying. You try to just move past the pain, try to make them feel better. And I don't know if some kids, like, I watch some kids leave and they're just like, well, okay, whatever. Henry, he needs hours. He even, we usually stay for the other two games. After that, there's like seventh grade and eighth grade. And he told us himself, he's, I was so angry at the entire time during the seventh grade team. He sits up in the top with his friend and just puts his hood up. And, but I want to be like, hey, knock it off. At least you did your best or something like that. But really, he just needs to process it. Maybe that's what people say. Well, you did your best or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, that's usually a lie. But I know my kids, so I don't say that. Yeah. I instead have to just not say anything or I try to point out one thing he did really well. I think it's all good. It is tough. I choose not to lie anymore. Which is, oh, you did your best. Well, no, your best would have been doing some layups and practice and learning these things. That would have been like, in, you can put full effort in the game, but your best would include preparing for the game. What if their best wasn't brought out in them during practice? I wasn't at practice, but I don't want to play the blame game. And I'm not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take okay, the blame I'm... for this one. I'm not going to even talk about coaches, parents, any of that other stuff. Just try to deal with how we're managing it. So he comes off all dejected. And this is a lesson that I learned when I was a freshman in high school. I was a, a bigger kid at a small high school. This is my first year playing, var playing football. I had played for two weeks. And they're like, all right, you're playing varsity football. We couldn't afford to play like town football because this stuff was expensive. And you had driving all around. We always played the school sports and there was no modified football at the school or like seventh and eighth grade football. I don't know what it's called in all the states. And so my freshman year was my first year ever playing the game. And like I watched football. I didn't even fully know the positions. Like, all right, Lyman, go over here. I'm like, I don't know where to go. I'll just follow the crowd. So it wasn't based on talent. It was just that I was a taller semi-athletic kid at a smaller school so hey you're gonna play varsity so it's my first game up on varsity the varsity team is not that great it's a small maybe 18 kids on the team i think you need 18 to field a team even i know there's 11 people on the field at the same time 
but you have a minimum roster number so that people don't get hurt. And there was these two new coaches, and they were hard. They were out of college football. One was an All-American from West Point, military guy. One was a defensive end from Alabama. And they were hard-nosed, do things right, intense football coaches. I did learn a lot from them. It didn't always work out for them and their methods, but I did. I personally, I took a lot from them. So I'm thankful I had them. And we played the first game that I was up. I think we were playing a school called Oneana. They blew us out like 56 to nothing. They have a cannon that they shoot off every time they score because it's up by a American Legion. They ran out of ammo. They scored so much on us. <laughs> and on the bus ride home, people are like laughing, joking. Our bus ride back to the school and the coaches got very upset. Like, what do you guys have to laugh about? You just got crushed. And I remember that lesson, like, hey, we had to sit and think. And as painful as it is to th sit and think and not just be able to move past something, that's when you figure out, like, hey, what can I do differently next time so that this doesn't happen? What should I have done before that I can now do before the next game? And you have some reflection time versus just trying to move past it and immediately be back to the feel goods. There is a dichotomy here. There is like a, you don't want, I tell Henry, like you can be grumpy, but your attitude can't affect those around you. You can't take it out on anybody else. So if he's like hood on, like he can't, I'm not going to let you snip at your younger brother just because you lost a game. Like you don't need to be that much in the weeds. But also I try to guide him through that reflection process by asking him questions. So he'll get upset. I'm like, after the game, how are you feeling? Like, oh, I feel terrible because we got blown out. Okay. Like losing stinks. I acknowledge that. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, it's okay. What'd you learn? We'll get to that. But I think children need the reinforcement that how they are feeling is okay. Like, you feel bad when you don't win. And that can go too far. But it can also be a positive thing if they reflect on that and they change the outcome for the next time or down the road or to a different application in the classroom, different application in a different sport. But I think you need to let them stew a little bit so that they can process it themselves and that's what you said and like you said stew but with boundaries yeah so if you're going to take it out on other people around you like that's not okay so it's a matter of you have a very and i taught this lesson to the kids at a young age let's say someone has a really hard day at work they're really upset they come home and they start taking it out on their kids yeah so i want them to understand they aren't actually mad at their kids they are emotionally unintelligent and they're not able to compartmentalize and direct the anger where it belongs. So I think that's an important lesson for kids to know from a very young age. Like you can be angry and you have to make sure you are directing that anger at the right place. And this really has to be role modeled as well by, by parents. And sometimes that might require like going for a walk or cooling off or if someone feels better after they talk to someone or whatever the case may be. But it's important for them to learn that emotional lesson that like you can be mad, but please recognize what you're doing with that anger. Yeah, so much going on here. And after the last game, he's upset. Like we lost. And I say, good. Like, I don't want you to love losing. I'm not going to make it. I'm glad you're not happy right now because you know who loves losing? Losers. People <laughs> who don't try at things. Now, there is a difference between losing and losers. Losing gives you an opportunity to improve your skills and learn something losers just don't ever try and they just quit on it so there's a we have those conversations like just because you lost a game doesn't make you a loser 
what would make you a loser if you're happy-go-lucky, don't care, never do anything to get better and just get crushed again and leave the floor smiling, go get some pizza and some Doritos and a soda pop, sit down and eat it and just joke. Like that's loser behavior because you're not doing anything to improve your team. You're actually hurting the kids around you who actually want to get to winning. The kids around you might have lost, but they're not losers because they're putting in the effort and they're showing up and they're doing their best. But someone who could just quits on it and brings the whole team down, that's where I draw the line for the kids. So they know that most of their friends are, are working hard and they're trying to do good. And so they see the positive, but I'm not going to lie to them and say, oh, that's fine. Like it's, it stinks to lose. Like winning is awesome. Losing stinks. You need to be a good sport. And part of winning is losing. Like for winning to exist, there has to be losing. We lost tons of games. Like I didn't go out there, like that high school team I told you, we only won one game that season. Next season we went, we won a bunch. In the next two years, we lost the majority of our basketball team. We lost a lot of games. And so I'm speaking from the perspective of losing a lot and being frustrated a lot. And I didn't like it when people were like, oh, that's okay. Like then why am I so upset? Is something wrong with you or is something <laughs> wrong with me? Because this situation doesn't make sense to me that you're telling me this is okay but I feel like garbage and I don't want this to happen again, then how is it okay? And so there is, like, kids aren't unintelligent. So since you have experience in this, what did you... <laughs> Losing a lot, <laughs> yep. Thank you, Mel. <laughs> what helped you then gain perspective back then? What did you have a mentor who you would bounce that off of? Did you talk to teammates? Was it an internal conversation you had? No, I think it was more role models, but not people I know where I saw people like Olympians overcome things and win and know it's possible to go through hard times and figure it out and still win and have role modeling like that. And knowing that winning required effort and work, that's what makes it so awesome. And so I had to be honest with myself. A lot of times I didn't put in the effort and work. I just was relying on my God-given talents to carry me through an activity. And actually it was a good awakening for me to lose some and be humbled and then you get to win like it's an amazing process if we are able to navigate it without becoming depressed like when you lose like we're talking about but also not being a just assuming you're going to win and then if you don't you just don't do anything to reinforce it so i want to hear more about what you talk about with henry after so you we talked about how you reinforce the fact that this feeling is okay it sucks to lose it's okay to be mad about it so then what when, like when do you move to the let's what can we do about it yeah, so shortly after, I don't say a lot. I think the more words, the more it feels like you're patronizing the child. Say less things that matter more. After the last game, I said just what I said. Okay, who loves losing losers? You shouldn't love this feeling. Is there anything you want to do tomorrow? I'm not going to say right now, usually. Sometimes it is right now. Like they lost a soccer game. And he's, yeah, I want to. I felt slow. Like I want to run a couple of sprints now. Sprints after a soccer game aren't going to make them that much faster, but mentally, He's taking a step towards a more positive outcome, so I'm going to do it with him. So I let him choose, and we'll do, you know, what do you want to do? Is he out? Work out for 30 minutes, and then I want to do skills training for 30 minutes. Sure, I'll do that with you. And I let him choose the path, but once, and this goes with depression, this goes with losing something, like you have to have a path towards progress. So what's the next step you want to take? It's likely not in that one hour after the game but it's probably six hours one day at the most later where you bring it up and then you bring the conversation to a more positive conclusion. And I, I do think 
personally, I mentioned this earlier, how for me, I have to hold back saying things like it's okay. And when he comes home and if it's three hours later and he's still grumpy, like I don't enjoy that, but I know him, I know he'll get past it, but I have to hold back the desire or the knee-jerk reaction to just try to make it better for him. I mean, I can't make him a better basketball player. I mean, I can, I can sit with him. He can, you know, tell me to bounce pass it to him. Or yesterday you were doing something that I don't remember what it was called. Where you throw it and then you make a sound. Basketball? No. <laughs> I know. It's an alley-oop. <laughs> is that and an you're official? like an elevated past? Why? Like, <laughs> it is official. So there's ways where I, unathletic me, can be supportive of his skill building. Mm-hmm. A lot of it from my strengths perspective is emotionally not reacting and giving him the space that he needs. Because oftentimes we're just trying to solve our discomfort. Maybe we think we're solving the child's discomfort, but it's really ours. My last point would just be on, this is all about emotional intelligence and regulation, is to keep it from going off the guardrails on either side. So not going too far in one direction, not going too far in the other direction, teaching, hey, there's nothing we can do now to change that event that just happened, but we can work on future events. And keeping from those lows and the roller coasters and the highs you do need to help and support them and it does come from a good place when parents are like oh don't worry about it they're just not sure what to say and so i get that they want their child to feel better however hopefully this conversation gives you a little bit more of a path in some different ways where you can have some honest discussions and meet their meet your child where they're at don't tell them that it's okay when they're feeling terrible because then that creates friction again because they're not sure who is right them or their feelings you say hey your feelings are lying to you it's fine to lose this it doesn't help them either and so it is a juggling act it is tough for parents i do have respect for parents that put their kids into activities that maybe they didn't play themselves like you did i can tell a lot of these other parents never played basketball just based on the conversations that are happening in the stands and i just sit there quietly i politely clap when something happens i don't not a loud person at games or activities i just want to be there to support and i understand that people are coming from a different perspective. And so hopefully the well-intentioned, hey, just forget about it, turns into, hey, what can we do about this? And so that's what I hope you can take from this conversation. Thanks for listening listening to another episode of the Strong Family Project podcast. Visit us at strongfamilyproject.com where you can get the seven steps of the path, get your values all outlined and set up before the next year starts.